Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick bayek or uh never mind welcome back everyone and thank you once again for joining us i say once again because it's clear to us this isn't your first rodeo we know you've been listening to stuff that's real for years and we thank you for that. We really appreciate you being here. I know Kevin appreciates you being here. Isn't that I right, do. Mr. Kevin? I do. We should do an episode on the first rodeo one day. That would, you know what? That's, this was your first rodeo. Call it the, your first rodeo. That'd be a good. So look for that. If you're watching, uh, listen to this show down the road, you might find one called your first rodeo. We're not going to talk about a rodeo today, <laughs> Kevin. No. Uh, Unless yours is about a rodeo, but I don't think it is. Mine is not certainly really. not about a rodeo. I was actually digging into, believe it or not, the history of the first metal detector. Now, I had heard that Alexander Graham Bell invented this, and I, I wasn't quite sure how it all came to be. But yeah, back in 1881, Alexander Graham Bell invented it. And I think what happens here, it, what happened here, and the reason I've lost some of the history, because I know I've read about this before, um, but yeah. I couldn't remember for the life of me. I was like, why is the... The history of the metal detector is such a weird, like, why can't I remember what, you know, it seems like a pretty big invention. I know Alexander Graham Bell also invented that thing we call a telephone, which arguably is more important than a metal detector. Yeah. But I was trying to figure out why I couldn't recall the details of the metal detector's invention. And it turns out it's because its history was a bit overshadowed by an even more interesting piece of history. And that's Really, in a roundabout way, what we're going to talk about. Uh, so it's not just the metal detector, although that's what we'll call this, because that is the thing that's real and cool. You probably knew that it was real. But here's the part that you didn't know was real. Um, President Garfield, of course, we all know, died from an assassin's bullet, right? He got Lincoln. And, you know, in school, we learned that, okay, he was one of the a few, I think there was, what, two of them? It was just two that were assassinated? Three. Uh, Kennedy, yeah. Right. And so we're like, you know, I, I, I mean, Kennedy was rather explosive. Lincoln, I imagine, probably was as well. So we just all assumed that Garfield was the same thing. You know, bam, hit him two in the back of the head, just like the guy that suicided, you know, but that's not actually how it happened. It's not actually how it happened. Garfield was shot, I believe, getting uh, onto a train or off of a train, waited for a train. Yeah, he was uh, on a summer, going on a summer vacation, which is really sad. About four months into his presidency, which is even sadder. He hadn't even had time to do anything cool yet. The first bullet grazed, the sh grazed no, no hard feelings, no damage done. But the second went through his lumbar, his first lumbar vertebra and lodged firmly in his abdomen, which sounds rather painful to me. Yeah, you, that does sound like anywhere. That's not, that's not where I want to be shot. So check this out. So a bunch of doctors, of course, and I imagine this is 1881. So I'm sure, you know, doctor has to be in quotes at this point because they you got like a bag of leeches and, you know, an early stethoscope made out of a straw or something. And they're all just running up to the White House because there's no security or anything like that. And they're all just like, hey, I'm a doctor, you know. So the one that they chose 
to, uh, to actually be the chief doctor. I don't know how this all happened. That's a whole other story, I'm sure. But it just says this guy would go on to be uh, Garfield's chief doctor. So there's some passive voice there. I'm not sure how this all happened. But naturally, they chose this man because his name was Dr. Willard Bliss. Yes. And <laughs> his name was actually Dr. That his first name was Willard. You are incorrect. His first name was Dr. <laughs> So his true name was actually Dr. Willard Bliss. So they were like, well, this guy's got two doctors in his name. We're going to choose him to be Garfield's doctor. Yeah. So he was like, I'm a doctor. Sure. I mean, my name's doctor. Why not? So he rushes up to Garfield's aide, who's got this bullet lodged in his abdomen. And he declares quite dramatically, this is an actual quote. If I can't save him, no one can. Which turns out to be true. <laughs> The man did not save him and no one else did. It turns out Dr. Willard Bliss probably had something to do with killing Mr. Garfield as well. You know, besides the fact that he's got a bullet lodged in his abdomen, uh, a bunch of these guys are jamming their dirty, unwashed, crappy fingers into this dude's bullet hole and trying to wiggle it out, but they can't get it because I think Garfield's kind of fat and there's a lot of fat to go through and you know they just can't find it. So they're like giving this guy sepsis every time they poke him, which also probably doesn't feel too good either. So he's like in severe pain. So they jack him up on morphine and then incorrectly diagnose that he's also suffering from malaria. He okay. wasn't. Okay, so they give him quinine because naturally that's what you give somebody who has malaria. So he's jacked up on morphine and quinine and these combined treatments completely just you know, destroyed the president. I mean, again, this has nothing to do with the bullet hole. Like, he yeah. would have been totally healthy, and they would have killed the guy, the poor guy. Yeah. They're jamming their dirty sepsis fingers into his open bullet wound and trying to dig this bullet out, and they can't do it. But at the same time, because of the combined treatments, he can't keep any food down or any liquid. So the doctor, which I think is his full name, he's a long line of doctors. That's not real, folks. Don't actually quote me on that part. His name's doctor. But the doctor starts looking around for other access points for sustenance. You know where I'm going with this. He literally starts wow. shoving food into uh, Garfield's anus. <laughs> and I'm just, I mean, we could just end the episode right there because that is, yeah. I wouldn't say it's stuff that's, it's real. Probably not cool. Totally not cool. So first, Bliss, Dr. Dr. Bliss, tries feeding yolks of eggs mixed with beef extract and whiskey. Right up the pooper. And uh, yeah, so this symptom was, what does it say? Promptly relieved by discontinuing the egg. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, it's the, they, they stopped this particular treatment because, uh, again, another quote, annoying and offensive flatus. Uh, <laughs> and there is a link here, uh, which we'll link in the show notes. It actually goes to a government website. So this is a real deal. It's from the collections, the NLM, uh, NIH collections. I can't remember the acronym, what that means. The National Institutes of Health, I think. Mm -hmm. Um it's like a historic article. Uh, it says feeding per rectum as illustrated in the case of the late President Garfield, comma, and others by D.W. Bliss, M.D., Washington, D.C. So this guy had the gall not only to shove egg yolks up the president's anus, but decided to write an article about it as well <laughs> because he was the premier eminent doctor of the United States presidency. Folks, this is absolutely ridiculous to me. This story just gets better. And I mean, poor Garfield, but worse for him. Yeah. I mean, for us as writers, it just gets better and better. You may be wondering, where the hell does the metal detector come into play? They called Alexander Graham Bell and they're like, hey man, you know that thing that finds, you know, metal objects inside other objects like the ground? And he's like, yes, I call it the metal detector for it detects pieces of metal. And they're like, we have a piece of metal we'd like you to detect. So they call him out and he goes to uh, Garfield's bedside and, and is trying to, you know, use his metal detector and do around, but he can't find anything. And the reason he can't find anything was 
Garfield's laying on a metal bed spring bed. Now, these are yeah. rare at the time. Normally, mattresses are, are, I guess, feathers or something like that. Um, but he's got one of them fancy presidential mattresses that has bed springs. And so this thing is detecting the bed springs. Uh, the bed posts, I think, were metal. There's metal all over the place. I'm sure in Doctor's infinite wisdom, he was also waving around metal implements at the same time and causing even more uh, ruckus. But they can't find they can't find the the metal de- or they can't find the bullet. So the metal detector worked great. Graham Bell, yeah. uh, Alexander Graham Bell did a fantastic job building it, but it was detecting too much metal. And uh, the joke is, if they would have just rolled Garfield onto his side, onto his left side, they would have been able to find, I think, behind the pancreas or whatever. That's where the bullet was. Yeah. And they would have seen it right away and been able to pull it out, whatever. But Doctor wouldn't let them move him. They wouldn't let him roll on the side. They wouldn't. They, he Because he thought, no, the anus feeding will work. We just have to keep doing it. The worst thing you could do is move him to, you know, a, a bed that doesn't have any freaking metal on it. If you're getting a little bit of my sass about Dr. Doctor's lack of credentials, you are absolutely picking up on, on some of that. This whole story, it's just insane. Obviously, Garfield dies. Uh, metal detector doesn't work. And Dr. Doctor is given stature as one of the worst doctors on the planet, in my opinion, who is revered. You know, there's articles and in, in, in papers and, you know, man, it just, it just it took 79 days after the shooting for him to die. I mean, that's just the part that I'm like, ugh. They tried to pour soup into his anus. That is a true story right there. I just read that. Man, I mean, I don't even want to get into it. Is it boiling? hot? What's going I, on here? Was there somebody in charge? Like the straw? Did they blow? You know? I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to. The poor guy. I mean, <laughs> the most bummed uh, medical procedure of all time, I guess, or treatment of all time. I, or perhaps not. I don't know. But I mean, think about it. If he had not been. This is one of those times where your notoriety is your downfall, right? Because if he had just been some average schmo on the street, I mean, he might have been shot, might have bled out, might have died then and there, but at least he wouldn't have been tortured. Exactly. He would have either died, you know, a few days later from loss of blood or something, or he wouldn't have been on a freaking, you know, metal bed where they would have been able to find the bullet right away. Right. Another incision in the back, pop, pop a bullet out. I'm not using the term torture lightly. Later (laughs) in this article, it actually points out that the CIA ended up using these methods, (laughs) this this rectal feeding method as torture. Yeah, no, the idea of feeding through, I'm reading right now from the uh, IFL science website, not a super reputable source, I'll admit, but I think they got the facts right for the most part in this one. But it says... Feeding through the rectum was popular at the time, though now, in case you're wondering, people, anyone listening, I just want to be very clear. The stuff that's real, that also is cool, uh, this is not a real part. Rectum feeding is not an effective way of giving somebody calories. So don't try this at home, ladies and gentlemen. It was demonstrated, actually, to be an incredibly ineffective way of giving a patient calories or rehydrating them in case you want to take your water intake sitting at a desk. Don't do it. It was condemned as a medical procedure by many doctors after it was used by the CIA as a method of torture under this excuse. It can cause damage to the rectum, in case you didn't know. Shoving things up there is not what that's yeah. for. Yeah. Uh, as well as problems such as food rotting in the, the tract and prolapses. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. this whole thing, man. Oh, um, man. This is horrible. This is horrible. Ugh. I thought this you was like today, you know. Yeah. There you go, folks. Stuff that's real. Andrew, or not Andrew Garfield. <laughs> no, a little slip there. President Garfield. Um, what was his first name, by the way? I don't even know his first name. James Garfield. That's James. what it was. 
That's okay. Right. All right. James Garfield, not Andrew Garfield. This did not happen to Andrew Garfield, by the no. way. Andrew, if you're not yet, I apologize. <laughs> That's statement. So, poor guy. Wow. Yeah. This is this is horrific, is what this is. <laughs> uh I don't know why this one bothers me more than other. <laughs> I had a feeling it might. I mean, this is, I just kept trying to, I just, all we ever heard in school was like, yep, kids it, got shot and died. We're like, oh, died. assassination. You and know. yeah, we cut about, <laughs> we cut several paragraphs out in between those two things. <laughs> we left out some facts, kids. I think, you know, what I think oh, bothers man. me about it is that, you know, here he's president. He's an important person. Of course, they're going to do everything they can to take care of him. Here comes this flim flam artist you know a snake oil salesman who <laughs> rushes forward dramatically proclaims that only he can save the president and of course everyone is looking for someone to be a leader in that moment yeah right yep. and so this idiot has theories and no real practical knowledge and decides he's going to experiment on the president, you know, I mean, it's like, like a, it's a Jesus fallacy, right? I mean, you, you look, you're right. Like, oh, this guy's saying crazy stuff and he he's must know something. And, and, yeah. and we like him. So he must be right. In any crisis scenario, the person with the most confidence is the leader. Yep. And that is a fact of human psychology. You can, yep. you can even test it. Um, and so it doesn't matter whether that person knows what the hell they're talking about or not. If they sound confident, Everyone around them is going to to follow their lead. Absolutely. I've actually leveraged that quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I've been in situations too where I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, hey, I'll just, I'm, I'm going to take charge here. But I will admit, I don't try to pass off my rectum feeding uh, experiments as being a doctor. Yeah, yeah, I only make it as a recommendation. I don't impose it. <laughs> well, listen, uh, you guys can do what you want, but yeah. I have had extreme success. I, I think it bothers me shoving this egg yolk up his bum hole. This, you know that garfield was had to be out of it in pain you know suffering just suffering and a long days and there and this guy that's almost three months that's almost three months and this guy comes along and we'll shove things up there and and i don't know i'm, I'm like you can't protest you can't no one's yeah, questioning you're, you're jack up on morphine and quinine i don't know what that does but I know I drink it in my quinine, tonic water. Yeah, but. quinine's actually probably, it's probably why he lasted 79 days. I was going to gonna say, it probably did help. probably did yeah. something. But but the morphine, um, I mean, you're, jagged, you're on drugs. You're literally on morphine. Yeah. You're sitting there like not knowing what's going on. And, oh. and, and the, the, the best part, I mean, not the, again, I keep saying best part as if it's good. It's just all horrific. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the longer he's alive, the worse he's getting. And and, and that's every more, they're, they're, I imagine they're all getting frantic. They're like, we got to save this. He's getting worse. Yeah. We got to get that bullet out now and let's dig our dirty fingers, our, our poo fingers into his bullet hole and try to scratch out that. I mean, oh my God. Just, well, you know, on that front, by the way, that was pre like the, the no, research. It, okay, I, yep, it wasn't the guy that was coming. He's from the, from, uh, it was in one of these articles. Cause I thought the same. I'm oh, sorry. I cut you off, but you're going to say the whole washing hands thing, right? Yeah. They didn't know as much about it. They didn't know. Yeah. So but, that is true in the U S yeah, there was a guy. I'm trying to find his name. It wasn't the same story that we that we know about the the women dying in childbirth because the doctors were yeah. basically spreading one germ yeah. to the other, you know, to the next woman every yeah. every delivery. The guy that you know came through and said, "Hey, we should we should all wash our hands." He was like yeah. laughed out of the room and then you know died like poor and then realized everybody realized he was right. Yeah, uh, but there was a guy in the in I think in the UK at this time. Yeah, okay, Joseph Lister. Here it is. They didn't sterilize their equipment. 
They didn't wash their hands. That was because the technique wasn't around. That wasn't because the technique wasn't around yet. Joseph Lister, who in this article is considered the pioneer of antiseptics, had been demonstrating the medical benefits for around 20 years. So he's over in Europe though. So the European doctors were quicker to adopt proper hygiene, but it says here that the methods were known about in America because Lister did a tour in 1876 and they were yeah. beginning to be accepted by doctors and surgeons there too. So this is five years before the Garfield incident. Yeah. Bliss doctor was not among them. <laughs> <laughs> it is the next quote. So it's like, yeah, because the guy wasn't a freaking doctor. He probably was just some, yeah, I have a leather bag. Let me put some implements in there from the shed. If the name Joseph Lister sounds at all familiar to you, it's because the product Listerine was named for him. Oh, was it really? Okay. Yeah. It, uh, and yeah. the creator of Listerine was named Dr. Joseph Lawrence. Joey Lawrence created. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Cool. Yeah. He wanted to name it after after Lister because it's an Lawrence Brain, which is what it would have been called. Yes. Lawrence Brain. <laughs> who, who am I to name this after myself? We'll call it Listerine. Listerine. Josephine. So. <laughs> Joseph. Josephine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, man, so, wow. so that was that, an extra bit of a little history in there. I that's, love when you yeah, that's that. a freebie, folks. You get that's that a freebie. for free. That's no. stuff that's bonus and real. So yeah, that is the entire history of the metal detector. I hope you enjoyed it. It's not the entire history. We didn't even, you practically didn't even didn't hear and So now you know, going back to the first thing I said, I couldn't yeah. remember why I couldn't remember the history of the, the metal detector. It's because anybody who talks about the metal detector goes, so Alexander Graham Bell invented it. Ooh, oh my God, let me tell you the story about, Andrew, about uh, James Garfield. I did it again. Yeah. And because it's such an incredibly horrific story that is some in some small way tied to the metal detector that... Nobody cares to talk about the metal detector when you have 79 days of pure agony about the U.S. president to talk about. Yeah. It's always going to take center stage. This is horrific. Or metal detector. Horrific. I feel bad for metal detectors everywhere. We should have a national metal detector day. It says just I just pulled it up just so I could see because I don't know the history. of. The I did metal. have an article. Yeah, pulled up about it that. It says <laughs> President James Garfield lay dying of an assassin's bullet belt. Bell hurriedly invented a crude metal detector. So he did it because of that. Yeah. So this is the origin of the metal detector. I did not know that. He had to have known some, he had to have had some insight. So he, you know, he studied things like electromagnetics and things like that. Yeah. I think the theory was all there in his head. Probably not even half baked. I bet he was like, I bet I could design that. But this is the stuff that, that is very fascinating to me. And I do dive into this stuff and probably will follow up on this because I the progression of technology and technological development between basic technology and more advanced technology in our history is kind of profound. The guy, everybody in that era, the whole, you know, Alexander Graham Bell's like peers, so many geniuses. There was like this zeitgeist worldwide for certain things. The tele, you know, in within, a, I mean, not all within a year of each other. Sometimes within a decade or two, yeah. you've got. The telephone, you've got the phonograph, you've got the radio, you've got the television, you know, all these things kind of all happened. It's weird how it all happens that, like I said, it's a zeitgeist. It's like you'll have people in Europe working on something and people in the United States working on something and they both invent the same thing at almost precisely the same time with yeah. no contact with each other whatsoever. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. To me, it, it indicates that there are, there may be, as part of our evolution as a species, certain inherent concepts 
possibly as a layover from our origins that that lie buried in history that we are bound to repeat like we the patterns we are pattern finders and we know from genetics that sometimes those patterns get embedded in our genetic code which is why you'll have they do tests on like rats and stuff you'll have you know these rats who all learn to navigate this maze in the time frame in which that took them to learn to navigate it let's just say it took them an hour to learn and do it the first time and then they kept breeding these rats over time and then they put a brand new rat in there six generations later and that rat instantly knew the pattern of the maze right because yeah, it was encoded in its cool. dna <laughs> so i think the if you start thinking of things in terms of patterns, I know we're going to field again, and I know I'm, I'm responsible for doing <laughs> that, but if you start thinking of things in, in terms of those kind of patterns, that stuff could be encoded in our genome, and we don't even know it. There's components of our genome we have yet to even explore. And some of that involves the use of shoving things up your rectum in order to have a good meal. So how else would you eat? You can't blame Dr. Bliss. Dr. Doctor. Uh, Oh, doctor. Well, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah, that was that was a lot. <laughs> oh, what an interesting story. What a very interesting story. My story is nothing like that. Should I dive <laughs> in? There is a, a commonality, though. There is a commonality, and it is in the science of detection. Okay? Okay. Because metal detectors generally use electromagnetics. They, so basically create a field. And they, the, if something interacts with that field that is ferrous or you know, otherwise magnetic, um, then it, the fluctuation in that is what sets off the metal detector. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's an inductive search. It's an inductive detection. I'll, you'll find out why that matters in but a moment. But my story is about a 15-year-old kid in Canada who discovered an ancient city using Google Earth and star charts do you oh, remember hearing about this story? i do yeah you told me about this i, I love this story cool. this is the basis that, so i lifted this as a piece of the origins in in my book the girl in the mayan tomb because the story was fascinating to me i didn't it, this my book doesn't revolve around this but what is happening is this mayan tomb that they're exploring was discovered by this young kid who used star charts and Google Earth to find it. And the way this worked was this kid was actually kind of working on a, a science project. It was going to be a little science competition in his school in St. Jean de Matha, Quebec, which I have mm. now butchered because I am not a French, French name French, I've never heard. Yeah. It's a very French name. And despite me being of French Acadian origins, I am. I oh, am don't tell people that. I can't do that. What happened was. He, the idea essentially was we keep discovering Mayan cities in, in places where they really shouldn't be because they're not looking. So it, historically people locate cities near resources. So they'll be on the coast of a sea or ocean. There'll be, or a, a, a large body of water, like a lake or something or a river. There'll be lots of fertile ground for, you know, crops, lots of open plains for livestock. You know, there'll be some reason that city is there. Even if it's out in the middle of the desert, it forms in the middle of the desert because there's an oasis there that they can use for, 
fresh. So that's the generalized origin of cities. But Mayan cities, despite being in a very fertile part of the world, uh, frankly, you know, crops and things were probably possible, but they tended to not be in the kind of places where they were expected. And no one really thought about it. No one really put much thought into why that was, weirdly, until about 2016, when a young man, a young kid, 15 years old, named William, and I, let's see, I lost his name, is Gadori, yeah, Gadori. and Gadori, or Gadori, or something. It's something French, I'm sure it's Gadori. Uh, so yeah, he's from Quebec, you know, so put a French accent on it, it's probably <laughs> correct. He was doing his uh, science project, and what he determined was, you know, thinking about it, like this kid, actually quite smart. And in an interview, he was saying, why are there all these places? What, you know, he was, I was wondering why all these places were where they were. And so what he decided to do as an experiment was take a star chart because he had this theory, by the way, a theory based on ev what everyone's calling conspiracy theories. Okay. About the idea that the uh, pyramids at Giza and other structures on our planet mm -hmm. align with certain constellations and, and star formations. Right. So he thought it could be true. And so he took a star chart and applied it to a map of known Mayan structures. And what he discovered was there was like 20 something structures that all lined up. Okay. There's 22 structures that lined up, but yeah, there were 23 22. in this constellation. Right. In total with between all the constellations. Yeah. Right. 20, yeah. So he managed to, accurately sync up 22 locations and that left a 23rd and that got him wondering could that be a lost city and what he did was apply all this to google earth in which meant he got some pretty high resolution satellite imagery and lo and behold he ends up locating basically a roughly square in indentation in the jungles and that turned out it was in the Yucatan Peninsula jungle and that turned out to be eventually a lost pyramid so it was, he basically saw the foundation of a pyramid and probably the pyramid itself is buried under there so and it, it, at the very least it indicated that it was a man-made structure and then they started to apply they've over the years now so this I believe this was in 2016 2017 maybe no 2016 so he won his science fair by the way just in case you also won the year, like a, a year prior, uh, or, or something. Yeah. A yeah. science competition. Be able to look out. <laughs> like he's, I just, I find this story. It's so funny. Cause it's not like he just went on Google and was like, no, oh, let me see this area. Okay. Zoom in. He was like, I need some actual terrain mapping stuff, yeah. which Google earth doesn't actually do. Right. Right. And so he just says, well, let me call the Canadian space agency. Cause right. I'm, I'm really close to those guys. Cause he had won a science competition previously. Right. Uh, they'd already been providing him these images. Yep, through their radar sat two satellite, which it says it has cutting edge terrain mapping ability. So they were like, yeah. "Sure, kid, here you go." And You're one of us. <laughs> so that kids, by the way, is why you. Um, that is an example of leveraging your resources. <laughs> he, he made contact because of his excellence. Basically, he studied something, took an interest in it, and ended up doing something that effectively changed the world. Honestly, because now we know about this additional 23rd pyramid, but we also, as a consequence of this, know that the Mayans at least certainly did align their structures with the stars. And that opens up a lot of speculation about why, because why would you, right? What prompted that? So, you know, now that we're only in the dawn of exploring the ideas around that, but it's 
something very uh, significant in our history to, to make this discovery or rediscover this. So William named the, now I came up with a name for my city that was similar to this. So I'm going to butcher this, but this is, this. I'm going to make an attempt. The city is named Kaakchi, which means That's mouth cool. of fire. And uh, which I believe is he, in Mayan or something similar uh, is the, where he took the name. Now, all that is pretty awesome. Now, since then, they've gotten, they have actually sent, you know, expeditions here and have explored. This stuff isn't necessarily in the article I'm sharing, but, you know, you can go and look this up. I, I happen to know about this in part because the University of Texas actually played a role in exploring this. And I have some friends who have been a part of that. But the they've used other technologies like LIDAR to explore that region. And LIDAR is basically, it's, it's kind of like a radar or sonar using lasers. And one of the things they do typically is they'll, they have a LIDAR unit mounted on a drone and the drone flies over a region and pings the ground. And because it can penetrate the foliage and everything, it can give you a fairly, fairly clean 3D rendering of anything that's on the ground beyond the canopy of trees and grass and other things. So it's actually very useful for finding all kinds of hidden things. In the in my books, in a couple of different books, I've actually leveraged LIDAR to find like secret rooms and you know all kinds of other things. And that's how that's one of the ways that they were able to map out this and other structures in the jungle without even having to go there. So that's where we're looping back to the detection thing, like I said earlier. Like this is, you know, as we go along, like these interesting little things that we do, these little discoveries we make about how the world works lead to technologies that allow us to discover even more about how the world works. And this is fairly significant because, you know, the techniques used there can apply anywhere in the world. And since this discovery, that all these technologies and the methods that, even young William used have been used to find other structures and cities worldwide. Parts of Gobekli Tepe, for example, were found, you know, hidden structures around that a temple were found because of these techniques. And we've even managed to take peaks like the Sphinx and the pyramids and things like that, which we're kind of currently not allowed to go and explore physically. We were able to kind of take a look into these structures using these same methods. So <clears throat> it's opened up a door of exploration. Okay. Speaking of that door opening, talk to yeah. me about the University of Texas stuff. Because you said that at the same time, I found something else related to okay. University of Texas. So what, 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 what's your, well, they have a, they have an, I have friends who are part of the Department of Archaeology at UT. And I mean, I've got lots of friends who've attended U University of Texas, of course, and people who've gone on to have roles in science and things like that. But I was just reading, there's um, a lot of friends in the anthropology department. <laughs> there's a guy named Dr. David Stewart. Is yeah. it David? Um, no, no. Yeah, David Stewart. David Stewart, who's a uh, professor of Mesoamerican art and writing at the University of Texas at Austin, which yeah. automatically gives me pause because it means that he's good old boys club. When you say Mesoamerican, I immediately know that historically you believe in Clovis. You think that Americans, I mean, not Americans, the people living in the Americas came from the Bering Land Bridge, the Bering Strait up on Russia to Alaska. Yeah. Uh, and that's the only way people got there. And you believe that they weren't there. And he also believes, he's adamant that William is wrong. 
He's adamant. oh yeah, he's he the said, he's the the denier. Yeah, he's, he said that's, that's just a fallow cornfield. Right, it's called a milpa because you know he's an expert. Yeah, so he's never been there. He's never actually been to this freaking place, and no one's actually uncovered any of the trees covering it. So he has no freaking idea. But he does know for a fact that the Maya did not build their sites based on stars. Which I do find interesting to him. That's what he says. Yeah, because that is him looking at the exact evidence and coming to a completely different conclusion. And you know, his that's an interesting perspective to take because they actually lined up all these so it's this is something that's incredibly frustrating about the scientific community and it's really rampant in archaeology and anthropology but if you do if you are not towing that line of the status quo about any given yes. subject you are blacklisted ostracized cast out and that's been happening there's no group more narrow minded than the scientists who are helping us to explore and discover the world around us. These, these uh, are the guys that are writing grants to try to get money to go explore these yeah. sites. So and they I, are literally the gatekeeper preventing us from going and exploring these sites. Yeah. And I have a, a character in Mayan Tomb who is representative of that very idea that, you know, if you're, if you are not, to, if you're not going along with the party line, you're out, you, they will yep. destroy you. Yeah, you will be ostracized. Um, quicker than right. indiana jones right which is why i created an anthropologist who is independently wealthy and could fund his own research because i knew this guy in particular is going to get crapped on uh by everybody. yeah it's interesting that dr stewart's position is that because you can literally see that star chart overlaid with that map and that is how they found this thing yeah and, and his quote is something like you know these sites are everywhere and so are stars yeah so therefore it's wrong and i'm like why what? Okay. Okay. Here's a. I've actually been there, not to this particular site, but I've been yeah. to the Yucatan. I, I've actually studied these Mayan sites in person. Yep. I've walked up the stairs of Chichen Itza because I'm not supposed to. I've done the things that people, the tourists do, but I've also gotten the in from the people who are actually on the ground studying this stuff because it was a yeah. geography tour, and that's that's what we were supposed to do. Yeah. Um, I've climbed the stairs and looked out over this extremely flat area about the size of Texas with no hills. Yeah. And there, believe it or not, there are actually no above ground rivers in this entire region. Right. It's a huge region, millions yeah. of acres. And I, I've stood on top of these sites and I've looked out and seen all these little vegetative bumps in, in, in the distance. And Doc Augustine was the name of the professor. He said, look at each one of those bumps. Each one of those is a Mayan ruin because there are no bumps in the Yucatan. The, the land is completely flat. Each one of those bumps is some sort of building or settlement or permanent structure. There's just not enough money to go uncover them and, and keep them you know, up. The point of it is, yeah, there are sites everywhere because the Maya civilization was absolutely massive. As, as big or, or around the same size as the Inca, as the Aztec and all the related communities like the, the Tolmec, all the Olmec or whatever they're called. Yeah. Anyway, so the point is, you know, the first thing you said, Kevin, was, you know, normally we locate our sites next to, you know, bodies of water because, yeah. you know, you need water to survive. Guess what? The water is directly under under your feet, yeah. anywhere you are in the Yucatan. Cenotes so, and things like that. That, that yeah, everything's a, a cenote. Big part of that culture. Go down, yeah. access in there. It's a huge part. It's where they believe the gods of the underworld lived, yeah. and that was a huge part of their culture. But it was also the sustenance. It was where they got water from. So it doesn't matter where you build these sites. 
So you can choose one of two things. You can haphazardly throw them wherever you want, which yeah. I believe happened at the beginning of the Maya rise. And as they started to civilize and, and you know, come together. And I believe this all happened 20,000 years prior to when we think it happened, by the way. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I think that's exactly what they did is not like normal peoples. They got together and they were like, hey, we have something in common. Let's build a city. Yeah, Where there's a ton it? of evidence that there were and there there was the same sort of evolution rise and fall of cultures in the americas as there was in europe and asia absolutely but no we uh, have to take this white european approach that's where people came from you know africa but then it very quickly went north because you know it's africa well as, <laughs> as we have seen in the past two years alone you know when you challenge established ideas ideas that are accepted by a majority when you challenge those the outcome is typically you know uh, fighting back first rather than listening rather than anyone discussing it discussing facts and logical fallacies and data it always has to come down to emotion and just like every other human being scientists have emotions and you you know i'm i am very much i am pro science right <clears throat> have been my whole life and I, you and i are on the same page science yeah. is the literal academic does, yeah. it's, it's, it's a verb that means you are actively, academically trying to disprove a particular theory. You are trying to find why you're trying to falsify something that has come before yeah. you. As long as we're aware it's not literally a verb, right? You, you we're what? not literally saying it's a verb. We're saying that metaphorically it's a verb, science. Because yeah, you don't right, science. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. No, the, 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 act, the, <laughs> the activity of science, science. Yeah. Yeah. is what I'm talking about. And, and what it, I mean, literally, the, the definition of it is to disprove this theory. And right. anthropologists and archaeologists, they're the biggest culprits of doing the exact opposite of that. Yeah. They're getting yeah. their good old boys, pro-Clovis society BS, and they, they say anything that's not this just isn't true. Yeah. Because, you know, we were taught that this is what the data suggests, regardless of new data. Yeah. Regardless of new findings. Regardless of if we just wrote the grant to go find this place, let's go, you know, there, get a there are things, figure out if there is a building under there. You should read. There's a book I, I read a few years ago called uh, City of Stone. And it's about the two guys who effectively were the first to discover and map a, a great deal of Mesoamerican culture, the Mayan and Aztec culture in particular, right? right. Finding these structures all over uh, Central and South America and cataloging them. They were among the first. Excellent book. And the and frankly, it was kind of part of the research for I did for Mayan Tomb. But there are things that they discovered and ideas that they pushed forward that are still being debated to this day, like two, three hundred years later. Is this City of Stone, the hidden history of Jerusalem? No. No. Okay. That is not it. No, it's uh, and maybe well, I got yeah, like, I definitely want to read it. But yeah, there there are like five hundred urban fantasy books with the same title. So yeah, that's uh, <laughs> City of Stone, City of Stone, and the Wells of Sorcery trilogy, book two, yeah. City of Stone, the Watchers trilogy, Jungle of Stone. I'm oh, Jungle sorry, of Stone. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> right. by William Carlson. All right, I got it. C-A-R-L-S-E-N. Uh, and it's about John L. Stevens and Frederick Catherwood, who were explorers. Catherwood was like an artist, so he was doing sketches. This, this was like 1800s or something. I mean, this is, you know, they and they discovered a bunch of the lost civilizations of the Maya, and he sketched it, and, they, and Stevens wrote about it. So 
it would make a fascinating like HBO series or something. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, it would be just absolutely. Cause for one thing, both these guys contracted malaria and every other illness you can think of like multiple times. They were just plagued with disease their entire lives after this. And they had a, at one point a museum that was this guy, Catherwood's illustrations blown up huge, you know, very yeah. expensive yeah. exhibit. And you know, they were making money with it and then it burned down. Oh, and okay. um, Catherwood basically spent the, most of his life in abject poverty. It, it was just, it's just a remarkable story. I mean, it, read the book. I mean, it's a fascinating, I yeah. highly recommend it as a source. You'll end up writing a, a novel about it once it's, once you've read it. But, but <laughs> yeah, anyway, cool. yeah. So that's the thing. That's the, that's what's interesting. And of course, I took inspiration from this kid finding this city for one of my books, you know, but this, what I, appreciate about it is like it's a it's a i can go back to hundreds of times really because right. you've got all the elements here you've got science you've got archaeology you've got the conflict itself between the what's his name the, the doctor who doubts and the rest of the people who think you know dr david stewart from ut i wonder what he thinks that some of his colleagues went on to find more about this right you know he's probably sitting in his office trying to write published articles about how to disprove them and they're probably they're wrong Which i'm gonna sit in my office and write, write articles all day and clearly this is all just cornfields that you know no i haven't been there i haven't actually gone and we yeah, there's a this is the problem with the way science and research ends up being funded because yes i very much see that <laughs> it's you know it's all down to investors you know backers who want to they want to donate things so that discoveries are made in their name and they get buildings and they get all this stuff and so they have a vested interest in you know protecting the that group and providing for them what they want right rather than going off and questioning and continuing to find some the new discover new things right. science has never been about this is why it infuriated me when Neil deGrasse Tyson said, his, he, he has a quote that goes something like, science is true whether you believe it or not. Mm. And I wanted to stone that guy to death over that quote because it's the most false, disingenuous thing you could possibly say. It, because it denies the definition of science. Yeah, if you want to talk about science deniers, deGrasse Tyson is a science denier. Based on that quote alone. Based on that quote. Because and if you're listening to this, Neil, we'd love to have you on the show to debate this. Yeah, I'll have you on the show. I don't dislike great. him. I no, actually that's, like that's the guy a lot. He sounds like something he would want to do. But and you're, by you're saying right, I wanted man. to stun him to death, that was not, in fact, a literal threat. <laughs> um, no, no, no. This is, all, this is all video, so that we couldn't actually do it. I metaphorically wanted to. wanted to stun him to death over that. But, but that was, I need to put that in check too, because, you know, I get what he's kind of implying, but that quote and his attitude towards things is used all the time as some sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's using a philosophical platform. proof. Yeah. yeah. It, it was just, I remember that quote and it was just using his platform as a scientist and, and as a celebrity figure. Oh, he's uh, kind of a troll to just be annoyed yeah. that people didn't agree with something he wanted us to agree with. Yeah. Uh, he, and I he, find that he, infuriating to me that I, I like him. Okay. Well, sure. Right. I like I his books. I like him. I think he's great. Yeah, I, just, I, and I think he's brilliant. But um, you don't get to do that, man. If you're a scientist, he's smug and he's kind of a troll. He's, no, he's he, looking for points. He dunks on people. Same thing with um, Dr. Stewart, right? Hey, man, I get it. You're yeah. an expert. Like you've studied this stuff a lot. You've written some cool papers. Like, great. Uh, I don't want to diminish that, but at the same time, wake up. 
because yeah. science is not holding on to the same thing that you believe is true. Even if it, it is truth, yeah. your job should be trying to find the opposite of that truth. Your hey, job should be trying to disprove that thing. If they go to this place and they find that it is a fallow cornfield, I am absolutely willing to accept that. I don't right. think it's of, of course, if there's the no building there, great. Right. There's no building there. But my God, what, you can't say there's not if you've never been what there. Guys, what guys like Dr. Stewart, what they do is they make statements to end the argument. Rather than, and that is anti-science. And, dis, and Degrassi Tyson does the exact same thing. So does, what's his name? The uh, God delusion guy, Dawkins. All, even why am I, Stephen Hawking, even he did the same thing. They make yeah. these definitive statements to end the argument. And it's I have spoken. I'm the one who's actually an expert. You're all peons. You don't know a thing, and no more questions. And and I get it. I mean, look, Hawking, Stephen Hawking was a freaking super genius. So I, I will allow that he's probably put a lot more effort and work and thought into this at a different intellectual level than I'm capable of. But here's the deal: he spent his whole life trying to show us what he thought yeah. through his work, yeah. through his writing. So why would you make a statement Look, that's meant to just shut a conversation down? I'll just if put you it can't also prove it. If you can't absolute respect it, you know. for for Hawking and everyone else, but Hawking spent his life trying to prove his theories of, about how the universe worked, the whole theory of everything, and failed. Okay, so I mean, failed because it's a nearly it's a Herculean task to do. He right. managed to prove a, a variety of things regarding black holes and other things that, you know, it's all very useful information that we put to work every day now, but he was not able to come up with a unified field theory because it's a very challenging thing to do. So he, in that sense, he failed. So why then would you just blanket accept anything he says as definitive right. <laughs> regarding other things that he can't possibly know about? Right. You know, he can't possibly know whether or not there actually is God for example, right. as yeah. one example. And so these, the same thing is true of Dr. Stewart and this, these structures in, you know, denying all evidence and coming to your own conclusion and then stating that conclusion as fact is the antithesis of science. And I, that's what irritates me. And yeah. Grassy uh -huh. Tyson does the same thing. Dawkins does the same thing. You want to have an opinion? Fine. But do, by stating it as fact and then calling anyone who questions it a science denier, you're just being a dick. <laughs> Amen to that. And with you that, you can bleep me on that one. All right. <clears throat> oh, yeah, you're right, man. I I, I agree. Oh, That's why the show is good. 50 minutes of pure intellectual <laughs> genius here. 50 minutes of Kevin taking off his pants and ranting like he's an old man sitting in a rocking chair yelling at people to get off his lawn. Well, and if you guys are listening, wondering if we have pants on, you shouldn't wonder anymore. Right. Nobody wears pants to these things. I mean, that's 2022, man. Nobody yeah. wears pants to these things anymore. Nobody wears this podcast, uh, man. And speaking of pants, we should wrap this up. I think I think it's been a long and arduous effort. It's fun to one, prove why we are smarter than most people. Um, I'm not smarter than most people. I'm just going <laughs> to put that out there. No, no, no. We're, it's stuff that's uh, real, though. We're, 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 we know all the things that are real and things that are cool. That's why I, we're. I, I like to leave it open that I may be an, a complete mouth breathing moron when it comes to 99% of, of topics that we talk about. I am open to just so I want people to know that I'm not a certified expert in anything. I am merely a dabbler <laughs> and I do this research because it interests me and I interject opinion from time to time. And you denying that opinion is not is not a problem. 
<laughs> doesn't mean you're right either. It just doesn't mean you're problem. right either. It just means, you know, I'm okay with not being right. And right. I think that's how we make progress in the world. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. You were wrapping us up. and I. That's right. I'm, here we go. Wrap up. I'm doing the wrap up finger. I blew right. on the embers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. You heard it here first, last, in between. This is stuff that's real. Stuff that's real, but also is cool. No, stuff that's cool, but no, stuff that's real. That's I don't real. know. Stuff you that's didn't real. Didn't know is real. Didn't know is real. But also is cool. Also is cool. We are your resident thriller writing extraordinaire experts. You know, I'm sure there's other hyperbolic superlatives we could throw in there about, yeah, anyway, Kevin Tomlinson, Nick Thacker. Anyway, goodbye. We'll see you next week, everyone. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. Stuff that's real. Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str.